0: This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. Mark Toohey in for Rush Me Nair. It is 435, and that means it's time for our smart speakers to join us. Today, we are in the presence of Sarjeet Kaur, co-founder of KPW Communications, and Mark Mendelson, News Talk 1010's crime expert and a former Toronto homicide detective. It was chaos At Union Station and thereabouts on New Year's Eve, everybody did exactly what they were told. They all came down to have fun. They all partied a little bit. And when it came time to go home, they all decided to get on the free subway trains, streetcars, and buses leaving from Union Station. And it was predictably, or I guess in this case, unpredictably crazy. CTV's Mark Walker uh, talks about it. The crowd's unprecedented at Union Station. Video shows thousands standing shoulder to shoulder after ringing in the new year downtown. There was no room to move. You just, uh, you had to follow traffic, whatever way it was going. Glenn Garner was attempting to catch the subway to Midtown, but he says the crowds were too difficult to navigate and ended up in the opposite end of the city. I just wanted to go up to Young and Eglinton, but I had to go the other way because I couldn't get in. And I wound up at Finch and uh, the west and stuck out there for two and a half hours waiting for a bus. And who wants to be stuck in Vaughn for any amount of time? Mark Mendelson? you've worked in uh, policing and public safety and making security plans. Was this legitimately unpredictable?
1: Mayhem, I'll tell you, Mark, was cats and dogs living together. It was insanity there. Don't cross the streams. at, At the end of the day, Mark, I mean, look, we're we're post pandemic. I don't think the TTC uh, had any envision of as to how many people were going to come downtown for the celebrations, and they got uh, they got caught short. Um, you know, everybody decided to leave at the same time. Um, I can't. You know, you can't fault them. It's hard to predict how many people are going to come down unless you're monitoring social media and you, you know and, and you're finding out you know the number of, of, of people. But we we've, we've been giving out uh, free TTC rides on on Christmas Eve for decades. But post-pandemic, everything changed, and uh, they got caught short, and uh, I, I suspect that they they will have a good look at the, you know what intel they had as to the number of people that they were expecting, as to, as opposed to the number of people that showed up, and next year will be different. But at the end of the day, look, everybody was safe. The important thing is that nobody was in a car, but he was hammered, he was driving. And uh, I'll just look at it, that as a, a win.
0: Yeah, nobody seems to be really complaining too much about it. I would have been freaked out in a crowd that size. I I just don't like them, and I don't feel safe in them, Sarjeet Kaur. But one of the things that... That I've noticed is missing, and I, I don't know how well they did it here, but judging by social media, I think not as well as perhaps could be done in 2024, is the idea of being able to communicate with a large crowd. The crowd, can, the crowd has a mind of its own, and individuals don't really have much power when they're swallowed up by this mass of humanity, so communicating to crowds about options becomes a real challenge.
2: I agree with that. I think uh, you know, being in communications, it's critical that no matter what's happening, people get a sense that uh, someone is paying attention, um, even if it's just asking them to be patient and or providing other options. Uh, I do agree it's a bit of a learning opportunity if they didn't realize how many people are going to come down. I mean, it's great news that people are using public transit and participating and coming to downtown and doing all of that. But uh, I don't see what the excuse is for not communicating with people and not saying, uh, you know, please have patience or please don't push or please try a bus or please wait maybe half an hour. Um, And come back if you can Heck, play music, make it fun Do something At least they were inside and warm Yeah, Mark
0: Mendelson. I don't want to belabor this, but just to sort of wrap this up with a bow, part of a good crisis plan is flexibility and maintaining, always maintain a reserve, I learned in the Army. And so even if the crowd was larger than you expected, the test of an event plan like this for the police, for transit, for GO and Metrolinx is their ability to very quickly, in a coordinated and managed way, respond to a change. And so having extra trains available, extra staff available, extra buses that they could quickly and reliably turn on and off, that is perhaps what was missing and needs to be worked on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a a learning experience. I think, again, I don't think they expected the numbers that they got. They probably didn't expect everybody to be leaving at the same time either. But Sargi's right. It's about communication. And even if somebody would have been on the intercom, explaining the situation that might have uh, alleviated some of the concern that some people had but if you look at the crowds i mean look it's new year's eve you're getting a free ride uh what more could you expect
0: Sargeet, uh, a new report from four universities called Canada's Food Price Report suggests that uh, food groceries will increase in price between two and a half and four and a half percent this year, meaning a family of four will spend uh, about 700 bucks a year more uh, this year than last, although they do admit that their prediction last year was off uh, by about 700 bucks a year. But what are you looking for at the grocery store? How have your food shopping habits changed this year and what are you looking uh, at for the future
2: well i just came from costco and i'd say one of the biggest trends that uh, drives up uh, the cost of household food is just ordering out so i really try to disperse that it's mostly my uh my teenagers who do that and it significantly costs more when you order out versus cook at home but you know i think we've heard everything about couponing and Uh, waiting for sales and all that. I wouldn't be adding much to the discussion to point all that out. I just say there's two things that I think about when I hear about all this. One is the amount of food we waste in this country. And I'm very conscious of it and just trying to buy only what we can finish so that there's not food wastage feels It's terrible to see fruit go rotten or something getting forgotten at the back of the fridge, and then you have to throw it out. And uh, the other is, um, you know, there's a whole campaign about eat less meat. So meat is one of the things that is going up, and just reducing your consumption by one day a week is not only good for your health, but it can definitely help with your pocketbook as well, and uh, also it's good for the environment. So there's uh, two little unique thoughts that I have when I when I hear about this uh, ongoing discussion about the increase in food prices.
0: Mark uh, Mendelssohn, are you eating less meat and are you able to sort of uh, take advantage of sales when they are without ending up throwing stuff out? I find myself throwing food out
1: uh, regularly. I don't have enough freezer space, for example. Well, full disclosure, I have five barbecues, so meat's not coming off the table in my house. How can but you having afford said the that, jazz? i know—but <laughs> marks but,
2: Monday meatless.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know about you know. My kids are carnivores. There's no question about it. But having having said that, I'm also feeding a family of seven, um, so leftovers are never an issue in my house. And you know, I always make more, and so does my wife as to as to what we're going to eat that particular night. Because I know by 7:30 the next morning, it's gone. Um, so that's a good thing. But what I what I won't do is I won't go from one store to another store to another store to save myself fifteen cents because the gas alone is going to eat up all of that. So I try I try and shop smart, um, and I shop uh, probably four times a week now, um, just because uh, you know there are big differences in prices between the you know you know the big the big stores and some of the smaller ones, some of the mom-and-pop shops, which I love to go to. And if you do just, you know, 15 minutes of looking around, you'll find yourself the deals. Um, but but again, I'm not going to drive around for three hours to save myself 45 cents.
0: Sergei, do you have uh, different stores that you go to for different things? Because you know they're reliably more affordable or better quality? I mean, yeah, I do. I think um, our
2: family is not that large. There's... Uh about four people here, so sometimes Although I do go to Costco, it's too much. Most of the stuff that they have is too much. We won't be able to finish it. So I will get some things that are maybe non-perishable or very specific things there. And then I have a little Loblaws that's walking distance. And I think it's great when you have something that's walking distance because you could go every couple days, every one or two days. But, you know, I think we're speaking from a little bit of a place of privilege. A lot of people don't have so many options or they don't have a grocery store that's so close. Um, You know, they're stuck with what they're stuck with and uh, i don't i don't want to be casual about the challenges that people are really having about yeah. food prices so um i think that the government is trying to do things and they should continue to do things at least so the essentials have uh reasonable prices because for the rest of us let's be, let's i can make a joke that hey after the holidays i can stand to eat a little bit less from after that and that's gonna go. save me money but for <laughs> many many families it's, it's not it's not joking matter
0: We'll be back with Sarjeet Carr and Mark Mendelson, and I'll try to convince him to only feed four of his kids when we return. Hey, welcome back. It is uh, Mark Tuian for Rush Mean Air today. We're in the midst of our smart speakers uh panel with uh, Mark Mendelson, News Talk 1010 crime expert and a former homicide detective and Sarjeet Kaur, who is co-founder of KPW Communications. Sarjeet, I just want to hit you with something we didn't warn you of because it's just crossing the wires now. The uh, president, Claudine Gay of Harvard University, has just announced that she is stepping down uh, from her position. This after a firestorm of controversy that launched off last month. She and a couple of other uh, uh, IV League University presidents were called upon to testify before Congress and they had very wordy, unspecific, dodgy, questionable responses to questions about uh, protests against uh, Israel on their campus and whether or not the code of conduct at Harvard explicitly calls or says uh, that calls for genocide uh, of Jewish people, constituted bullying and harassment. The question was... You know, does your code of ethics, uh, you know, prohibit that? And she really couldn't answer it. It got worse from there. She became a target of uh, people's ire, and uh, everybody started investigating her. And there were a number of questions about some of her own academic work, leading to her dissertation that uh, people claimed were, uh, you know, misappropriating or plagiarism of other people's work. You're a communication expert. Does it come to a time when you're the leader? that you become so much the story that the right thing to do for the institution is to resign even if you don't feel you've done anything wrong?
2: I mean, that's a personal choice uh, that she had to make. And I I haven't heard the latest on what's happening, but I remember when this uh, controversy erupted. And I would say from a communications perspective, one thing that struck me was they were asked at this committee hypothetical situations or situations that were kind of asking her to speculate, um, saying that there were calls for genocide on campus and would those be wrong. But from what I could tell, there were no calls for genocide on campus. So they were saying, if there are calls for genocide, does that go against the code of conduct? And I think the problem that I saw in their testimony is they didn't challenge the premise of the question. So one thing that we are always telling people in media training is you don't need to speculate Or answer hypotheticals. I mean, they should have challenged that these calls for genocide are not happening. Where are these calls for genocide on campus? Because now you're being asked to answer something that doesn't really exist. And so obviously you're going to answer that not very well because she's basically trying to protect people's right to protest and free speech, but they were challenging it in the sense that. If it crossed the line, would it be wrong? Well, obviously, it would be wrong. But the whole thing was a bit of a mess from the get-go, of you know, putting people in a ch- in a hot seat and asking them to ask, yeah. ask about a hypothetical, speculatory situation, and then it went downhill from there.
0: Right. Uh, Mark said do you want to chime
1: in on that, or do we want to move on to nine one one? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'll just chime in really quick, Mark. I think at the end of the day, I think the university saw that people were so enraged by her response or lack of response to some of the questions that they started pulling their money out of the universities. These people who've been donating for years, alumni and other benefactors. And they said, you know what, we're taking. We're talking about millions of dollars. And if you're the university, at the end of the day, you're looking at those... Uh, you know, debits and credits. And uh, that made a big difference. And that may have been part of her decision to have to pull out.
0: Yeah, I think it got to an untenable position. And I think a lot of people, including some of the congressmen who were clearly baiting her, uh, but, you know, would believe that there were uh, very clarion calls for, for genocide in the pro-Palestinian uh, camp but again there's many there well there are two different sides to this issue and people uh, on one side no matter which side it is don't agree with people on the other side never have and never will mark let's stay with you uh, brampton's uh, mayor patrick brown has called on peel regions to institute a fine for people who make nuisance calls to 911 pointing out that they get 2000 calls a day uh, 40% of those are illegitimate calls some of them are butt dials and mistakes but a lot of them are people asking uh, for somebody to attend and fix Tim Hortons because they served them the wrong iced drink, which is clearly a waste of the resources and abuse of the system. He wants those people to pay a fine. Is that the right
1: direction to go in? Well, it's an interesting tack to take. I mean, and, and Peel Region has actually been very good over the last couple of months. They've been putting out through social media actually they're airing the calls some of these ridiculous calls about my Netflix isn't working and uh, my coffee's cold and my fries uh, you know I, I asked to supersize them and they didn't come that way um, and they're putting that out there it's about education I think in many many ways there's been a comparison to what say the fire services are doing here in Ontario certainly in the GTA if you have too many false alarms uh, fire alarms at, at your home or your business you're gonna get fined you're gonna you're gonna pay a price for for that and now they're going to sort of ex- expand that into the into the police. So it is an interesting concept. I don't know how you're going to get these people to pay up at the end of the day, um, but it's 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 a it's an opportunity to educate people. I mean, 40% bogus calls are, are ridiculous, and you wonder why it's taking so long for people to uh, to get through on 911 is because they're having to deal with these people. Um, you know, on, on these on these frivolous concerns. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I, I'd love to see how they're going to enforce it and how they're going to actually word a law that's going to, that's going to deal with this. But uh, Peel was actually, you know, right out of the gate doing this. And I think it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a teaching moment, I think, that people have to realize that 911 is not for your Netflix.
0: Sarjeet, I think that uh, publishing some of the, the, giving us the audio of some of these crazy calls is an effective way to get people's attention because they're absolutely ridiculous. If they even just talk about fining people, is that part of uh, a communications uh, toolkit? that can help to educate people to stop with this nonsense?
2: I think it should be really a last resort. I don't know if the person who gets a uh, calls because Tim Morton's service is too slow has the wherewithal to even think about a fine. I mean, they don't understand that they shouldn't be doing that is the fact that they would they understand that they're subject to a fine. And you never, ever, ever want anyone to hesitate to call 911 if they really need it. But I think for extreme situations, it should be a tool that's in the toolkit, so to speak. But I really agree with Mark. Education, education, education. Uh, we're actually working on a project right now with a, a province-wide emergency steering committee about this issue because many municipalities are, are dealing with this and grappling. But part of our research is getting to the root cause. Why are people doing this? A lot of people don't know the non-emergency number, so there is some work that can be done. There can be language barriers. Um, There can be also, yes, just a sense of uh, silliness of no consequences and fines. But when you get to the root causes of what the issue is, you can address those and through education. I also worked in the road safety marketing office. You know, education is is what got us to start wearing seatbelts. It's what got us to stop smoking. It can get a Actually, yeah, I think it's changes in the law. Yeah. <laughs> changes
0: in the law got us to wear seatbelts and to Not stop smoking.
2: It was a combination, but you it think? became very normalized. Drunk driving. So there was a yeah. lot of public education of like don't let your friends drive drunk, right? we, we also made it
0: illegal. And it didn't used to be, but I it's agree with you. It's part. Of, it. It's all yeah. part of the education spectrum. It's the stick exactly. side of it. Sarjit Carr, co-founder of KPW Communications, Mark Mendelssohn, News Talk 1010's crime expert, former Toronto police uh, homicide detective. Thank you both uh, for your time. We are going to take a break at the top of the hour. When we come back... We are going to talk about bad news for anybody who works for a small business in uh, Canada. And I'm going to teach you how to be an overpaid CEO. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.